0: Welcome to Marginally Significant. My name is Andrew Smith, and I'm here with... Uh, Andrew Monroe.
1: Twyla Windgrove.
0: And Chris Holden. On today's episode, we're going to be explaining a little bit about why we wanted to start this podcast, um, what perspective we have to offer, and then talk a little bit about um, life at a master's granting university. Um, so we're going to start just by kind of going around and, and explaining a little bit of why we wanted to actually start this podcast when there's so many other podcasts that um, talk about psychological um, ideas. And so um, Andrew, why do you did
2: you want to uh, start this podcast? <laughs> uh, so, so the- Primary motivation is obviously fame and glory uh, that, that that comes with, with podcasts. Uh, but but no, like my my motivation primarily was oftentimes when we're writing, oftentimes when we are, are doing all the things that we do professionally, um, there's a lot of pressure that we we have to we have to be right. Uh, that we're we're espousing a particular point of view, we're staking out particular types of claims, and so there's not a, a lot of room to sort of just work out an idea. And one thing that I really like about podcasts is that because of this, the particular format, you can have an extended discussion where you can try out an idea. That idea can turn out to be wrong. Like by the end you can, you can reject it. So one thing I'm really excited about uh, with this podcast and with, with our conversations is to uh, be able to have just longer form conversations where the stakes to be correct all the time are, are relatively low. So you want to be able to be wrong is basically what you're saying. I mean, being wrong is not something that I'm used to. So that, that'll be, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's one thing that I'm really looking
3: forward to. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'd, I'd follow that up by saying, um, you know, there are a lot of psychology podcasts out there, but... We're often talking about things within the open science movement in a way that affects the research that we do and even the teaching that we do. And, you know, this is still a new and somewhat nebulous thing. So I think having different opinions from folks at different levels and different universities can be helpful in sorting through these things. Uh, And I've seen some of this unfold already in things like SIPS. um, But I think, you know, having a podcast that's, you know, focused on kind of these comprehensive universities is something that's needed and something that's relatively new. Um, and plus it just sounded like fun. So might as well. Yeah. I'll
0: follow up with that. So that was a lot of why I wanted to do it was I was listening to a lot of these other podcasts that were very good, but they were presenting a particular perspective on things. And so things like the, you know, um, reproducibility crisis or, um, just the, 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 the issues that we're having in psychology and it was very much from the perspective of people who were at like R1 U, um, institutions and they were right. talking about things that, I mean some of the stuff they were talking about was relevant to what I care about but some of it wasn't like, what do we do with undergrads? Do we teach them about right. it and do we talk about that or, or is that going to undermine, you know, their perception of the research that we do? Are they going to understand the nuances that, that we mm-hmm. all know are there? Um, and so I didn't think that those were necessarily be direct or were being addressed, and so that was one of the mm-hmm. reasons that I wanted to do it. And I would also echo the I was hoping it would be fun. Um, yeah. That remains to be seen, but we'll see. I was hoping that it was going to
1: be fun. <laughs> Yeah, I echo that, and I would add on that I think sometimes when I listen to the other psych podcasts, um, I I hear ideas that I, I agree with, but sometimes they sound aspirational or almost <laughs> unrealistic <laughs> in my personal work environment, yeah. and so I thought that there was something to be said for bringing a, a different perspective on the conversations that are happening.
3: Yeah, for sure. And, um, I think I'll jump in and say I think we all feel this way but I don't want to speak for anybody we're also not throwing shade in any of this <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, uh, you're, you know, you're not <laughs> well maybe um, but I mean I think we all do really appreciate these I guess forebearers in mm-hmm. some ways mm-hmm. um, that have paved this path and have really you know thought about what this means as a medium mm-hmm. um, and you know I think the big goal here is just to open discussion and have more discussion, which I know if you spend a little bit of time on Twitter, it seems like there's already a lot out there. But, you know, maybe we're doing something different. Yeah. Well, one of the things that's interesting So, I mean, and this kind
0: of gets to the idea of starting it – is you think about the people who are um, – uh, like members of uh, a society like um, SPSP, so, you know, social right. personality, um, most of them aren't at Research One universities. Most right. of them yeah. are at different, whether it's, you know, primarily teaching and research teaching and comprehensive like us, um, but most of them are at some place different. And so definitely we're getting the perspective of some people, but it's a small subset of different people. So, right apparently we're going to speak for everybody else. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> Not really, but... <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's helpful to like note here, uh, we didn't say this in the intro, but we're all at Appalachian State, we're at <clears throat> a master's degree, uh, a granting institution, uh, so, so, so that's the perspective that, that we're speaking from here.
0: Yes. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. Are there reasons that, well, I have some, but are there reasons that you didn't Want to do it? What were your worries, concerns, thoughts about not wanting to do this? Shame
1: and embarrassment. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes.
1: Um. I mean, I think time, time commitment is Mm, not to do anything and then fear of putting yourself out there and, um, being criticized, at least for
2: me. But that's one of the things I like about a podcast format that it's okay to criticize people. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, mostly to criticize people, but, but, but that in a podcast format, it's okay to, to stake out a position and then revise it. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I, at least I would have the same type of worry, but I feel like I would worry less in a podcast, that like, if I'm wrong, people will will harangue me. But I guess we'll find out.
1: Yeah, yeah. won't practice, yeah. so uh, no, no,
2: practice being wrong, so No, no, I am gonna I am gonna practice being wrong. I'm gonna try that try that out. Let me know. and we'll see how you respond to feedback
0: and If <laughs> right. yeah, you yes. respond, exactly. if I respond, <laughs> yeah. So that is Andrew Monroe who is speaking. So all critical comments go to him.
2: Please email me at (laughs) at smith.appstate.edu.
3: Close. Yeah. Yeah, um, I'll say, too, I think, you know, there are are a lot of podcasts out there. Um, There's a lot within psychology, a lot outside of psychology. This has gone mainstream, the whole replication crisis. I think uh, one of the NPR podcasts covered that. Um, So I think one of the first things for me to evaluate was, can we add something new and unique? Are we just going to be another psychology podcast? Um, Which, that could be fine too, uh, but I do think there is merit in talking about academia from different perspectives and how some of these open science practices affect people at different levels, different career stages, Um, you know, grad students, early career researchers, these are all things that they're kind of primed to take advantage of but may have some costs as well. Um, So I think it's, that was kind of the thing that that changed my answer on that because initially I was thinking maybe we are just another podcast It's something that's going to take up some airspace. Maybe people will listen to it, maybe they won't. Um, But I think we can kind of cultivate something that's that's pretty unique.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I, I, (laughs) You know, thinking about like the perspective that we have to offer, I was, you know, w- with a lot of the discussions of open science and, and the issues, it's it, a lot of times it's um, the the way the system is set up and, and how we have this, like, publisher or perish mentality and all around. Right. I, I don't have that mentality. We're in a different perspective. We don't totally. have that perspective. Yeah. We don't have those motivations. I mean, certainly we need to publish, but at a much different level. <laughs> and, and so our emphasis on different areas... And I mean, clearly that means that we're just better researchers than people who have the publisher perspective. But no, I mean, but I, I just do, I do think that it's a different kind of perspective, and and so I agree that I was like I started off being worried of like, well, okay, why do we need to be the you know seventeenth psychology podcast? But. I do think that we do we have something to offer uh, my main fears twilight like yours were um just like you know issues of you know do we have enough to talk about and you know worries of criticism and whatnot mm-hmm. um, you know i like everybody to like what do i say um <laughs> unlike monroe i don't i don't like the you know people disagreeing with me and i guess you're more okay with it
2: i i feed on it so, okay. yeah yeah uh, I feed on a mixture of other people's admiration and ire. Yeah, <laughs> So
0: your students' admiration and then reviewers' ire. Do- doesn't matter. Just, oh, just you okay.
2: know okay. A- anyone really.
3: Yeah. I mean, yeah. You're totally blowing up the narcissistic admiration. <laughs> <bought> now.
0: <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All right. So what are some topics that you hope to or think we might talk about in the future? Um, well, I think
3: you know some big ones are just anything and everything with the open science movement. Um, I know many of the podcasts are centered on this Um, you know black goat everything hurts reproducibility Um, they're all really focused on that but you know like we've said before I think that movement and the practices that you adopt unfold in different ways for different people. Um, and I think, you know, all four of us are people that are thinking about this. Some of us, you know, are, are just doing the early steps of this. I think all of us are adopting these new practices as we're kind of going along. Um, so, you know, we're thinking about it. It's kind of on our minds. And, of course, we're framing it in terms of what fits best with where we are, uh, you know, here at App State, this kind of regional comprehensive university. Um, So, I think those would be topics, um, you know, I know today we're going to talk about what it's like to be here, but, Mm -hmm. um, you know, there may be things that unfold that we experience along the way that we could bring into the podcast. Um, yeah, I mean, other I than
0: that, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, but I think that I mean that that was really what got me started with it was thinking about some of these um, issues of um, open science, replication right. um, crisis, and so on. Um, so I definitely think that is um, a topic that we're well, many of the topics that we're going to address. I think there are others that maybe are more specific to some of the stuff that we do here like balancing teaching and research and service how maybe we could specialize in one of those it's not all research for everybody some of us do mm-hmm. focus on that but some other people do not so I, I would like to get into some of those issues as well
1: yeah I agree that I'd like it to be broader I guess than the open science, speaking mm-hmm. about the open science right. movement. Um, I think with regard to the open science movement um, Chris you sort put it on the head. It's about trying to translate open science, the movement into practice Mm -hmm. and find I think we're all navigating finding Mm -hmm. ways to make it work in the context of our work and our labs and our different levels of students that we've involved in our research which is challenging I think from a broader perspective talking about how to involve different levels of students in research is something that I'd like to hear what you guys I have to say about how do we involve students who are freshmen who are super enthusiastic, or seniors who need to get the credit, <laughs> and are right. all enthusiastic, um, and our graduate students. And so that's a topic I hope that we can cover. And then yeah, thinking about the balance of responsibilities and how that's different at this kind of institution, I think could be worthwhile.
0: Yeah, I mean that's a good point. That I mean. I'm sure we'll address this later, but having graduate students is obviously, you know, helpful in terms of running our labs and so on, but we only have them for two years. That's so different than a PhD program where you have them for five, six years, where, you know, like by the time we get them to where they're doing a halfway decent job, (laughs) and they leave. Then they graduate. Then Then they graduate, which is great. Good for them. And I love it that they go on to, whether it's jobs or other PhD programs, it's, it's fantastic, but... But that does present challenges Mm -hmm. that are definitely unique to master's-granting institutions that PhD programs don't
1: Mm -hmm. have
0: to deal with at the same level. Yeah.
1: And we may only have one grad student at any given time. Right. Yeah. Um, When you have students for four or five years, you may take one a year, but you still have four or five at a time. Right. And there are times when, you know, something happens, you don't take a student for one year, and then
4: you're
1: down to one person.
2: And that is one thing that I'm interested in getting into about what, what does an active research lab mean right. uh, and how, how is that different at a comprehensive university from an R1 university where you, know, we have, you might have one or two master students at a time. You have primarily undergrads working in your lab but it's, it's different in the way that it's really you are driving your, your lab in a way that really big labs with lots of graduate students mm-hmm. um, might be like more graduate student driven or like where are mm-hmm. Graduate students bring you things. So I, I would like to get into the idea of what does it mean to have an active research program? What does that look like at a comprehensive university? How is that different from R1 or, or liberal arts institutions? How is that similar in, in some cases as well? That's interesting.
0: I had never thought about that before, but that's interesting how... Uh, like here I do feel like I'm driving my own research lab more than like Mm -hmm. my advisor did when I was in the PhD Mm -hmm. program Mm -hmm. because he was trying to get us to be independent researchers because obviously we were that was our goal, right, so, right? So that makes sense, but that's true. I never really thought about that. of like <laughs> I just keep doing it and yep. I'm pushing people in the way that I want them to, which maybe presents some advantages, but also some disadvantages.
2: If it always has
0: to come from yeah. me,
2: I mean, I think that'd be an interesting. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to when we we yeah. talk about that. About you know, to what extent. <laughs> does a comprehensive university and the research program there lend itself to a more sort of centralized mm-hmm. or centrally driven research program mm-hmm. versus an, uh, in like a really big lab with postdocs and grad students you could have sort of a more diffusely driven research mm-hmm. program and what are the what are the advantages and disadvantages of that too
0: yeah yeah i have two um ideas of topics that i very specific topics that i'd like to, to address and And um, definitely, we'll talk about these later. But but one of them was: should we, as researchers, should we be able to run all of the analyses in the papers that we publish?
1: I hope not, because then I'd be out
0: of a (laughs) job. Which your job is.
1: So, half of my job is uh stats consultant for faculty
0: and, and graduate students. So, um, I rely on the ignorance faculty <laughs> <laughs> to bring me their questions. I'm pretty sure we're. Um,
2: uh,
1: feeding that. Yeah, <laughs> I So, I thank you.
2: No, no, I mean, this is something, so I, I, I'm, I'm really interested to, to debate because I think if you're training graduate students, then you. You should be able to understand, run uh, all of the analyses that that you need and that they might need because you're you're training them. So I I I think like, no, you should be able to know all of your analyses. Yes. Which
0: which I agree. So I feel super uncomfortable. (laughs) I I, I typically try to disagree with you, but in this case, this one instance, I do agree with you. I instantly change my viewpoint. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, no, I, I, I get really uncomfortable having a paper that I don't fully understand... Well, I mean, I would understand it, but don't know how to run that particular analysis. Mm-hmm. At the same time, that's limiting. Yes. So then now I'm limited by the analyses that I need to run. It takes so much dang time to, to learn how to run a new analysis. Right. And, and like right. I still am struggling with multi-level modeling that, I, that, that, that limits the types of studies that I can do. So now I have to then change what I do. And that seems... Ridiculous. And
1: I think this is an issue that isn't necessarily like a comprehensive versus R one kind of issue, right? Um, because mm-hmm. at R ones there there are plenty of R ones that I'm familiar with where they have stats people that they run into grants, and there is no expectation that you do your stats yeah. or that you. I mean, you should understand, right. them obviously. Like, I think that's a basic ethical <laughs> <other laughs> responsibility. <like that>. Yeah, <laughs> but um, but you don't necessarily need to be able to replicate them or um, interpret the output
2: that absolutely terrifying. Really? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Do you have trust issues? You just
0: don't trust anybody else to run. Um, I
2: mean also true, but okay. but but that like imagine that you're giving okay we'll 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 save we'll save this for a podcast in the future. But but to save this. Uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll save it. But I'm gonna add
2: imagine that you're giving a talk or, or something like that and you, you sort of present the analyses. The QA, like how do you deal with the QA in that? In that case, you're like, I don't know, like the voxel pattern analysis said it's true, so like screw off. <laughs> I think that's yeah. exactly what you should say. <laughs> well done.
0: All right. Yeah. I, I will give that a go next time. <laughs> yeah. But I do think that this suggests that there's at least something for us to talk about yeah, in right. a future podcast. In a future pod. Totally.
3: Uh, yeah. And I have thoughts, but I'll refrain for now. <laughs> well
0: done. Good job. Inhibitory control. I like it. Yeah. All right. But, so, then, so then my other idea, and this one maybe isn't enough for a full podcast, is The whole, so on Twitter, oftentimes people um, uh, talk about their students Mm -hmm. and they lament about how they don't read the syllabus. Mm. And this whole read the syllabus thing. I don't expect my students to read the syllabus. Why do we even expect them to read it? I think that's ridiculous. And if, it, if it is very long, yes. If it's long and whatever, like I, there's so much crap that I don't read. I don't read the minutes before
2: a. Oh,
0: you know,
2: boohoo! Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. No. I mean, otherwise, like, why have the syllabus? Like, there's this thing that will. I mean, okay, fine. (laughs) If (laughs) I don't have to have a syllabus, if I'm freed from having a syllabus, then like, don't read it. All right. But but no, student, I I I totally disagree. Like, read the fucking syllabus.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Isn't there a difference between expecting them to read it like first day of class and expecting them to reference it before they email you with a question? I guess that's a good distinction. I guess I feel like I don't expect them when I hand out or post it, especially now that it's just posted. Yeah. Um, don't expect them to read it but i do expect them if they have a basic question about the course to like think maybe that's in the syllabus i'll Mm go back and check is that unreasonable i don't
0: know maybe do you ever change that that, like like you say in the syllabus we're going to do this and then but in actuality you do something different my syllabus is my bond yeah do you have your your course schedule in the syllabus no because Uh there you go (laughs) because i I know know that's gonna (laughs) change Yeah. 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 Those are separated. Yeah. See, that's the thing. I mean, sometimes people change. Well, see, again, this is uh, suggesting that maybe we should have a podcast
1: about this. I do change my syllabus all the time. I mean, I don't... Well, I change the calendar all the time. Mm -hmm. And I might delete the number, like... There are going to be ten quizzes. Oh wait, we only had nine. That kind of thing. Yeah. But I don't change the like mm-hmm. absence policy or the self phone right, right, policy right. or
0: whatever. Right. But I that's, what that's what they're they're
2: going to email you about. Though. Oh my
1: god, I get emails about absences every fifteen.
2: Oh really? Um, yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: Nice. Read. The fucking (laughs) syllabus (laughs) is what I say to that. Like, if it's there, um, don't bother me with that crap. The
1: absence thing is what I constantly ask.
2: I stubbed my toe.
1: Can I retake the clues that I
2: make All I want to respond is just, what, RTS, like, read the The syllabus. RTFS? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. No, (laughs) Hashtag RTS. Maybe
3: RTFS. Yeah. Right. Well, not to derail from a uh, syllabus talk, but this is something I was thinking about when we were talking about the perspective that we offer and the way in which we've started to set up our labs or have set up our labs. Um you know, I think we're kind of at this mid-level institution, but there's folks that are at smaller undergraduate-only or liberal arts, mm-hmm. um, and there's a lot of people that are doing really interesting stuff there, and I found mm-hmm. really um, kind of ingenious ways of being able to do the science that they want to do there. Mm-hmm. Um, so all that to say, I'm really excited to also maybe have some guests on yeah. and Ooh, allow yeah. for perspective outside of you know the four of us, mm-hmm. um, and I think you know we're all reasonably they can find people. So hopefully we can not uh, be an advocate for some folks that may not have routes that we have. Yeah, no, I think that's a fantastic
0: idea. I mean, as much as I do joke about how I speak for everybody, <laughs> right. um, I, I really would like, to, I mean, you know, we're, we're hearing the perspective from people at the R1 mm-hmm. institutions and then that's why maybe we thought we should do this, but then obviously I would love to hear people or hear perspectives from people who are at different masters universities, maybe they do things differently than we do here on our state. And then also people who are at more um, kind of liberal arts, you know, uh, teaching um, institutions and and how they deal with things of not having grad students at all. I mean, we complain about, oh, we only have grad students for two years. Well, plenty of people don't have grad students at all so they're only dealing with undergrads and that might present challenges but also like you said that they might have creative solutions for you know coming right. up with how they deal with everything right. so I, I would love to hear about that as well so speaking about <laughs> um being at a uh master's granting institution comprehensive university um like i don't know i don't even know where to start with this, like. Why did you want to come here? What do you think about it? What are some advantages to being here? Disadvantages to being here? Mm-hmm. What do you guys think? Um, it is fantastic. It's fantastic. Obviously, amazing. it's amazing. Every
1: day is amazing.
2: Yes. Yeah. Every day is a wonderland. <laughs> I'll be it's honest. There. Yeah. here <laughs> <It's weird>. body, <laughs> a wonderland. Whoa, whoa, that my would be friend. Appropriate. Yeah. Uh,
3: yeah. Title There, no. there's the tagline. Yeah. <laughs> done. Um, I guess. Uh, yeah, no, you're done. I was gonna say, I guess. Yeah, you know,
0: talk over Twilight, it's all good. Yeah.
1: As yeah. the woman in the room. The soul. Piece. <laughs> 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 now I'm going to
3: say uncomfortable silence <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't know I was going to say I guess just because I was the one most recently on the job market yeah. Uh, I, you know some of this is still kind of fresh for me um, long story short, I took a visiting position before winding up here. Um, it was kind of already in the area, so that was one thing that influenced me. Um, but I think a big driving force was just the, the flexibility and you know, this wasn't something I didn't, I, I, I didn't come across this until the job interview, but there was a lot of collegiality that I saw here. And I don't know if it's unique to our department or if it's unique to this level of university. Um, but I do have a couple of comparison points and the the flexibility and, you know, people talk about balancing the three-legged stool. And, you know, I think a lot of people can kind of carve that out <laughs> in their own way. What's the three-legged uh, stool just for people? Uh, maybe so, yeah, good point. So uh, teaching, research and service would be the three major legs of the academic stool, which <laughs> you know, it's something that was alluring. Uh but again I think the, the big thing was just
1: I um, so I'm the most senior of all of you mm-hmm. as I am the one who's been here longest um, and I'll be honest I I think, if I can remember clearly, I think that I wanted to be in an R1 when I went on the market and I applied for all the things. I just blanketly applied to almost any kind of job that was available. Um, and so it wasn't until the interview stage that I actually considered more clearly where I want to be. Right. And um, I, so I think when I was finishing graduate school, I really did envision myself as being mostly interested in research. And so I thought an R1 would be a better place for me. Um, but I um, also had a desire to live in this area regionally. And, um, and so I, uh, very similar to you, I interviewed here and I loved the department and I really got a sense that people got along well and that it was, a low-pressure work environment, which is not at all the impression I got at some of the other interviews I went on. Uh, Not that they, no one complained about their job, but they certainly had um, much higher expectations in terms of like output, research output in particular, right. um, and there was something appealing to me about not having as much pressure, the freedom to be as productive as you want to be, without feeling like you have to get five pubs a year, right. or else you're not going to get tenure. Mm-hmm. Um, was was
3: Enticing, Yeah, and I had a similar strategy as you. I mean, I was just applying to anything that I think that or thought that I could fit myself into Um, and I remember as I was going through that and as I was getting responses, kind of reevaluating and and really going into the details of what does it mean to be on a soft money position or what could this postdoc be like and, um, you know, I think there are tons of people that are really excited to do those things and I'm glad they're there, but uh, you know, for me, I, I could imagine myself being in that sort of pressure cooker environment. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe I'm projecting my own ideas onto that. Um, But um, it was definitely, you know, interesting to apply to all those different jobs. But um, I think the ones that went to the top of my list and fortunately I went to the top of theirs were, you know, kind of the ones that um, allowed for, you know, a little more flexibility with less pressure and more collegiality. Yeah, that's a good... um,
0: (laughs) So similar to you guys. Um, Yeah, I did... uh definitely apply broadly to different programs, so there's a difference between, like, why did you come here versus why are you staying here? So, I came here because I got a job offer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But why am I still here? (laughs) Right. Is a very different thing. So, now, having been here for, I guess, seven years... Um, yeah, I mean the the like the main thing that I think about is freedom. Is that I can
2: cue Braveheart
0: scene
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you go, exactly. Oh, yeah. I know. I should have screamed it. That would have been so much better. That's your Halloween costume. Uh, uh, missed opportunity.
0: Uh, <laughs> um, Next pod. <laughs> Next one. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, the freedom, like you were saying, of like specializing—whether we want to focus on teaching and research and service, but also um, if we want to, uh, um, like, we can we can publish where we want to, right. in the sense of like. Recently, I've been thinking, like, do I want to publish in journals that aren't um, open to kind of the best practices in psychology and open science and so on? Right. No, I don't want to publish in those. That's okay for me. It doesn't matter right. if I publish in the top tier journals. As long as I'm publishing, it's okay. <laughs> Even things like who I collaborate with. Um, I didn't have to worry about, you know, do I need to um, stop collaborating with my uh, PhD advisor? Right, right. I like him. I like collaborating. Collaborating with them, and and that's, no. yeah. <laughs> no, I just, I
2: just, I just keep I riding I his to- coattails. I, <laughs> good. I love collaborating with with my PhD. Yeah, I, so I, I totally can't. Disagree. But
0: at an R one, it's actively discouraged because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, so you don't have any of your own ideas, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so, so I I appreciate that I have the freedom to collaborate with whoever I want, and it's not worried that like, oh, what's the perspective that's going to happen, or even just like, you know, when we'll I'm sure. we'll We'll talk about this in future episodes of, of um, running replication studies. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I have the freedom to do that. I'm like, yeah, I don't want to come up with my own ideas. <laughs> I, just want to I want to replicate other people's research. Let's go, just like archive. <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly. We'll I want just replicate it. to. <laughs>
0: but as long as I'm doing a good job, I'm including students in it, and it's, it's eventually getting published in one of the many journals that are now receptive to that, mm-hmm. that's okay, and I have the freedom to do that and so I think honestly like that is like the biggest reason that I'm still here is because I have the freedom to do what I want to do and I don't feel the outside pressures of like no but it's got to be in like a uh, you know, top tier journal or it's got to be this or it's got to be that
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah no I, I agree I mean so one thing when we were talking about this episode and, and this particular question like why did we choose uh, this institution I, I always thought that like that that belies like an intentionality to where we Ended up that I'm not sure <laughs> yes, reflects the job market, yeah. but but as, as you said, I think it, the right way of putting it is um, why why are we still here? And so I mean, my my sort of viewpoint is I came from an R1, I did a postdoc. Um, research is certainly my my first love, though I really enjoy teaching. Um, but my particular view of research is that good research takes time for sure um, and so I'm okay with the idea that I would rather spend a year doing you know three or four studies that are absolutely they are methodologically tied they are theoretically mm. theoretically grounded um, strong studies that are replicable are meaningful all of that than churning out like four different studies and <clears throat> or four different papers and I think like that's something that's possible at a comprehensive university mm. and it's not something that's necessarily possible at, at an R1 um, one of my unpopular ideas uh, or viewpoints that, that maybe we'll talk about in a future pod is like I think M-Turk should die um, <laughs> no! I, 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 no no I'm, I'm serious like, I yeah. think that we as, as psychological researchers need to get off MTurk. turk I think I mean both for like reasons around whether or not there are bots and all, all those types of things or people who are who are not uh, farming. Yeah, fa- yeah, farming all of those things but also because it it, in, it increases the incentive to just say, like, let's throw some stuff at the wall and, like, let's see what sticks. And then, yeah. like, we'll write a story for that. Um, and I, I think, yeah, I mean, I think I think it's. I think it's bad research. I'm, I'm sorry. Like I think that, that MTurk encourages bad research. And that's all a long way to say that I love research. <laughs> uh, but but I, I love the sometimes more slow, careful, methodologically and theoretically grounded view. And a comprehensive university allows me to take the time to do really good work rather than worrying about doing like lots of work that's subpar not 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 that people at R1s do like subpar they right? all do like, subpar research again it's all advocating <laughs> my view yeah, yeah. we do better it's research than they do yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. everybody else is you know, not <laughs> jumping right. on that bandwagon yeah your your are going to go up so hard yeah.
3: Yeah. Well, will go back to what you were talking about like why you chose here versus staying here yeah. um you know i think one of the big things that yeah. has excited me about being here and staying here is that there's a lot of support to do exactly what you want to do. So if you want to, you know, focus on research and find funding for research and do those sorts of things, fortunately we're at a university that allows us to have that. There's a lot of programs that help us with that, Um, but there's also a lot of programs that help you with teaching and getting involved Um, and there's, you know, programs are helping you find the right service. So I think those are things that having support system here is something i think that really Keeps me here. Keeps me excited about being here. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. I feel. I was thinking about it earlier today, and I feel like we are sort of. And I don't know if this re- is reflective of conferences and universities, but we're in sort of a choose your own adventure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: I always died at the end of those books. <laughs> you just were wrong. But you got to read them again, though. That's the thing. <laughs> I <laughs> made it like to four choices, and always like you were eaten by a ravenous berry patch. Like I didn't even go out well. Like I got. <laughs>
3: Oh. <laughs> Do you die when you play RPGs? Often, I mean, yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> I think that, was,
2: that anyway. feels some self
1: defeating behavior on your part. I, yeah.
0: Yes. If any of us were <laughs> clinical psychologists, <before> then, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we are not.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I think I just became one. <laughs>
3: That's true. Yeah. We can. Yeah. Blend. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's clinical psychologists
2: Sure, it's right? all the same.
0: Yeah. 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 We
2: can read
3: minds.
2: <laughs> <laughs> also, Chris Holden, right there, Jesse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Chris Holden dot state.edu <laughs> um,
1: oh but what I was saying was that I do feel like and of course there are tenure requirements that, that narrow you a bit um, but even at the pre-tenure level I think you guys can correct me I think that you have some flexibility to sort of Practice what you choose, like focus on what you choose to focus on. Right. right. Um, but then once you get tenure, I feel like there's a lot more. <laughs> play play with me. Um, and like right now, I'm fortunate enough to be barely teaching, which is what I want. <laughs> Success.
2: <laughs> Success. Yeah. 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 And, so, about that um, balance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And focusing on
1: research and service those are mm. the two things that I'm most passionate about and I don't know if that will last but for now yeah.
0: um, but just in case any of your students are listening you do I love, love you the few classes you, you teach <laughs> yeah. you just don't want to teach so still, many right. different classes and
1: my personal preference is a 3-3 load is a lot of yeah. teaching well, that's a, yeah. and so if I'm choosing my own adventure and yeah. finding ways to be of utility and be useful um, and productive then I'm choosing research and service yeah
0: I mean that's a good thing I mean that a lot of people maybe don't know and we can get into that the pros and cons of, of um, being at a place like this is I mean we're on a three3 three load so we're okay. teaching three classes in the fall and three in the spring and that is a lot I mean even if it's you know we teach the same class you know um, back to back so to uh, it's not uh, you know three different preps it's still a lot that we're teaching and it gets into a lot of the grading a lot of mm-hmm. issues and and oddly they expect us to teach those classes well and most yes. of us who came here or at least most of us who are staying here um do want to teach well and so it's different than some of the other places and 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 not that people at our ones aren't you know i'm sure some of them are good <laughs> teachers um, but
2: and just whoa <laughs> so, there not, not all and so. some of them I sure are uh-huh. good people. Sure there's, like, there's at least one, one or two uh-huh. at <laughs> some I feel. University. I feel like we should rename the podcast like R1 <laughs> <I know. laughs> All right. well, it? But many of them were hired because of their
0: research experience mm-hmm. and not because their emphasis on teaching, whereas here, I mean, we do require the people at least somewhat care. And I do mean, I like care. Yeah.
1: To be clear. <laughs> right. I just am able to care more
0: when I have less than three classes. That is true. Yes. <laughs> no, I, no, so I, I mean, I think that that's, I mean, that is one of those of, like, the pros and cons, and, yeah. yeah, I mean, you have to care about teaching, And but as long as you do, then I think that's okay, and you can do it at different levels, like you said, of, of depending on the other, um... You know, uh, administrative—you um, know—priorities that you might have, you can do that at a different level. Right. So I do like that.
1: And other people, some in this room, would rather scoop their eyeball out than do some of the administrative stuff I do.
0: Yeah,
2: I, don't know I do not know. do Hell yeah! <laughs> so um, every time you describe what it's like to be the program director, I'm like I would literally cut off my pinky toe uh, to like no, no joke, like take it um, to avoid that. That type of work. I, I just want to be the guy who does the thing uh, with, with the research.
1: But that's that's, <laughs> like, really that's true. I'm curious about so I've heard people say and I think I've probably said this at some point. Um, I've heard people say that the downside to a conf- one of the downsides to a comprehensive is that you have to be good at all three like you have to demonstrate mm-hmm. excellence in research teaching and service. Whereas in an R1 you could be good at research and get away with the others. What do you guys think about that? I don't know that you have to
0: demonstrate excellence, but you do have to demonstrate, like, competency at all three here. I mean, if you're a terrible teacher, or if you don't get along with anybody, and you're never on a a committee, I mean, that's not... A way to success yeah. here, mm-hmm. so so I think there is some truth to that. You can't just focus on one thing, okay. but I don't know that you have to be excellent in all three.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think you could think about it as as a set of trade offs. So, I mean, at an R one, whether or not you're going to get tenure, whether or not you're going to advance, is okay. not entirely, but but like strongly influenced by your research and grant getting productivity. <laughs> Like that is the basket in which you place all of your eggs. Uh, whereas a comprehensive, it is true that you need to be better at more. Th- Like you have sort of more distributed uh, necessities for for being good. Like you need to be a good uh, teacher. You need to be a a good researcher. And certainly like the the standards are are, are different with what it means to be like a good researcher. Um, And certainly we have a lot more service here than than people do at at R1. So I I don't think of it as, I I guess I think of it more as a set of trade-offs that like, do you want to bet that you're going to be an absolute rock star, all-star researcher. Researcher. Yeah. Or do you want to bet that you can do lots of things like well, but like maybe not at like doing research at an R one uh, level.
0: So that that, that actually um, so my other advantage to. Mm-hmm. you know, being in a place like us was basically the things that we get evaluated on are the things that we have control over. So, for example, we have to publish. But it doesn't really matter as long as it's a reasonably good peer-reviewed journal. It's okay. So, so if we try to, you know, we submit an article, you know, to a top tier journal, that like psych science, and, and they reject it because we got some stupid reviewer or whatever, that's okay. Then we drop down. That's you know, external attribute. You should I'm not speaking from personal experience at all. Mm -hmm. I've had fantastic reviewers, but I'm just saying, hypothetically speaking, you might... I mean, it's up to chance. The reviewer that you might get... And so then we can move down to the next level and then yeah. the next level and as long as it gets published that's okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that we need to do, or we should do crappy research but I'm just saying it's not dependent upon things that are out of our control. We don't have control over who it gets sent to. Yeah. So we can try a different journals and we're okay with that. Mm-hmm. The same thing with grant funding. Mm-hmm. We have right. to apply for grants. We don't have to necessarily get them as long mm-hmm. as we're showing progress towards applying for them, trying mm-hmm. to get them active, whatever we okay okay, but you know, we don't know what's going to happen. Like, In any given year, there might just be a whole bunch of fantastic ideas, and ours is good, just not fantastic. We don't have control over the other people who are submitting grants, but we have control over whether we submit our own. And so so the things that we're evaluated on, we have control over. I mean, teaching our classes, we can try to do better. We can can go to um, some of the workshops that we have at the university. Uh, We can do many other things about how to teach better, which things that like Monroe should probably do, Maura. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: don't know <like>. why. <laughs> <laughs> not sure <how> <laughs> I <laughs> <Jeff>. <laughs> to sure. Yep, yep. Uh, right under the bush. Yeah, right under the bus. I would like to point out that I regularly beat our departmental average as well as the university average in my teaching evaluations, which, of course, mean absolutely nothing yeah. like, as, a, as a white male. Yeah, but, but yeah,
0: but yeah they're, they're better than mine, too. But that's okay. Regardless, yep. we have control over whether we get better at teaching, at least to some extent, whether we get better at teaching. And, I mean, to, and, and like service. I mean, okay, yeah, then, you know, get on the or two and be nice. I don't know. We have control over that, and that's the stuff that we get evaluated on. There's so sure. many other things yeah. that we that at our ones that they're just up to
2: chance. Like you, I mean, you literally use the words of like, you know, do you want to bet on mm-hmm. this? And that's hard. no. That, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about it in terms of of control. Yeah, it's smarter than you, so that makes <laughs> sense. You're <laughs> certainly older than <laughs> I am. Uh, yeah. uh, but but I hadn't thought about this idea of of control as as something that actually like really really differs because yeah. I mean, of course, the review process is not fully random but but there's like a degree of randomness to it uh, the grant the review process is, is the same uh, but we're we're evaluated on like whether or not a product comes to publication not like whether or not it's a JPSB we're evaluated based on whether or not you apply for grant uh, support not whether or not you get funded and and so again uh, here, in, in both of those cases, we have, like, we can choose to work on those things. We can choose to apply. Uh, so we have a lot more control over, over our sort of academic future than, than maybe people at R1s. Sure.
0: So we'll take a short break, and then we'll come back and talk about why um, working at a master's granting institution might be worse than other places. Thank you for listening to the first part of the episode. In a bit, we'll start part two. But first, I wanted to let you know how to contact us. Um, you can reach us on Twitter at sig you can email us at marginallysig at gmail.com, or you can find us on the web at marginallysig.com. Um, however you reach out, at least one of us will be sure to reply. Um, feel free to let us know if there's anything that you agree with or questions that you might have, or even uh, ideas for future podcasts. We'd love to hear about all those. Um, after the break, we'll talk about what it's like to be a professor at a master's grandstein institution. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to uh, Marginally Significant. We've been talking about... Kind of what it's like to work at a master's granting institution. Um, we gave plenty of reasons why it's fantastic to work here, but I figured we might talk a little bit about why or what challenges we might have at working at a master's granting institution. Should I just point at somebody? Go.
1: So, I mean, I guess this is rhetorical, so I'm just going to follow it up with a question. Well done. <laughs> but do we have an inferiority complex? So. It- is a challenge of being at a master's level institution that we feel like or other people perceive us as one or the other I don't know that we are not as impressive
0: as researchers 100% yes (laughs) no I mean seriously so when I went to so um, every year I go to the judgment (laughs) decision making conference JDM conference and the first year that I was there after I had um, I was uh, an assistant professor here um I would tell people on you know on my badge it said, you know, oh app state, whatever. And people would ask me, oh, where's that, or whatever, and then, um, you know, first off, it was obnoxious that nobody had e- literally ever heard yeah. of Appalachia mm-hmm. State.
1: And everyone was surprised that it's big, as big as it is. Well,
0: that was the second thing. Then they would say, like, oh, how
1: many uh, faculty
0: members do you have in your, um, uh, you know, program? And they would be thinking, like, three or four. And I'm right. like, oh, we have, like, 32 people yeah. in the, the um, you know, psych program, 32, ten-year track faculty members, and then, you know what six five six something like that um, yeah, um yeah adjuncts and and they they were just always shocked and it was hard i mean still is hard like i would rather have them have heard of the place and not like second guess that like oh you know there's something wrong with the place that we're at and they don't realize how big of a program it is how many people we have and that we actually do like you know reasonable research here so I, I would agree with that. That was hard for me, at least. Nice. Maybe the rest of you guys have you know higher self
2: esteem than I do. <laughs> so, you know, uh, you know, I mean, it's not
3: contingent on university. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: I maybe mean, that's yeah, what it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Say, So so I did my PhD at Brown, and Brown has it's a, a job. It, uh, name drop. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hashtag name drop. I uh, Ivy League, whatever. whatever. Right. I mean, I, Ivy League, fantastic. You know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but no. A super inferiority complex around Harvard. Mm, uh, right. So, so I came up in the like we're not as good as X. Right. So, but but I but I do agree, and we're not quite at Harvard level is what you're saying. <laughs> exactly, Appalachian State, Harvard. Uh, we could probably beat them at football. Uh, uh, like we could well, definitely we we could definitely beat them at football. Yep. Uh, at
1: the Harvard of Western North Carolina.
2: Ouch. <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> I lost my plans <laughs> um like coming up with an inferiority right thank you uh so, but, but I do think it's true that uh, since we all, we all came from R1 institutions and we all came up through, through our PhD being taught to value research, yeah. to, to value your research prestige as well. And so then uh, we're here and then people sort of don't value the research that comes out of non-R1 institutions in the same way that they value research that comes out of R1 institutions. So, I mean, yeah, I think it's, I think it's fair to say that like there's a bit of an inferiority complex um as as a non r1 but i don't know i mean yeah. i i came up that way so i'm, I'm used to being inferior yeah
3: yeah, yeah and i feel pretty similar and there are times where i notice it um you know like you were saying when you get questions at conferences like oh where's that what's it like um, but You know, I got a master's first at a regional comprehensive university, um, and this sounds braggadocious, but uh, I was one of the first four PhD students admitted to the program that I eventually graduated from. Um, And I think that that was—I mean, I have to acknowledge—you know—that there's, I guess, some privilege that goes with that. But I think that uh, it also allowed me to really think about what was important and what I wanted to get out of a PhD program. And the folks that came in to start that PhD program um, were also thinking about that. And I think that did a lot for me to uh, alleviate some of that feeling of like, we've got to be at the top because it was really exciting and fun to get in at the ground level Mm -hmm. on this program and really see it, uh, get its legs and you know i still follow and keep up with what's going on there because it's so exciting to see um, but at the same time it allowed me to kind of step back and not get too caught up in, you know what is this new program versus what's it like and at r1 and i had friends that were going to r1s at the time um, and i think that's something that's carried i've carried and really thought about and i fortunate to have, but it does still creep up. You know, the imposter syndrome, inferiority right. complex, it does still creep up. But at the end of the day, I try and focus on that and focus on the fact that there are a lot of different paths, mm-hmm. know, a lot of different opportunities. Yeah, I mean in some ways that might be like I don't know, this is weird to
0: say, like a good thing that we have that, like imposter syndrome, whatever, right. and like but we need to try to prove ourselves of like, all right, so how can we make sure our research is at the same quality or even better than what other people are doing? So, and so
2: that's why we do replications to kneecap the gosh, gosh. <laughs> <yes, laughs> exactly. exactly. So, so I replicate other people's studies. Fail, fail to, to replicate, replicate other studies because
0: they're all garbage. Mm. Because, yes. It's the sense of moral superiority. Exactly. exactly. That, that's a huge reason why I actually <laughs> like open science is because um, then I can feel better than these other people who didn't pre-register their studies, don't post their
2: data, didn't do everything that you're supposed to do. And so therefore I feel better. How many, how many hits does your TED Talk have?
0: Uh, one It's
2: <laughs> me I, I keep,
0: keep, I keep, keep refreshing.
2: Refreshing. It doesn't It doesn't count As multiple hits just, I just, just You going, in the shower Just go uh, Why am I in the shower? I, I don't know Alright You don't You don't First the talk's sh- in the shower? No uh, Alright well yeah, I rehearse talks in the shower. All right, T- next TEDx Monroe will
0: be uh, giving a talk on why moral psychology is fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. Yes.
2: There we go. Uh, why we make better moral judgments than you think. There we go. Yes. With a loofah and how moral ju- <laughs> we update
0: our perceptions of
2: blameworthiness. That's, that's pretty close. That, that's that like was like nice. a yeah. 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 Uh,
1: we yeah. we update
2: our judgments of blame more systematically than than you might think. Yeah, yeah. we we are sensitive to information. We make uh, very careful types of judgments. But um, yeah, yeah. All right. in a future
0: podcast, we'll talk about how moral judgments are no different than normal judgments, and how all of the research that moral psychologists publish is basically just a re-description of previous research. To that. Keep, keep it in. Keep this <laughs> <us> in. <laughs> Before we get to uh, that Guess. Um Other issues of um, being at a comprehensive. So, one of the things I thought about was um, uh, resources. Um, so, I have a research lab, um, in air quotes, research lab, um, and my lab space is a uh, small closet. And that
1: is more lab space than I know. I was just going to say, and that's, that's not
0: a, and it's, yeah, that's not a... Something that everybody does have. So, so what are some of the challenges? You know, we talk about the positive, but what are some of the challenges of being at uh, um, where we're at in terms of like resources? Let's say,
1: I do think resources are a struggle in the sense that I have to be a little more thoughtful mm. about the kinds of studies that I'm doing um, so occasionally I'll be creative, it's rare I'll have a creative idea for a new study that requires research space and then I realize I don't actually have research right. space and then I have to go through the negotiation process with other people in the building who do have space and I don't think that's something that people necessarily confront at a mm. better resource institutions.
3: No, I was thinking this one through, but I think some of this goes back to what Monroe was saying about carefully planning out the studies that you do within a year, um, as opposed to just you know cranking out as much as you can or even cranking out what's expected. Um, and you know, I do think that lab space and even funding to bring in people, you know, especially if you're bringing in multiple people, um, can be tricky. But at the same time, maybe there's a benefit to that in that it causes you to think a little more carefully about Mm -hmm. what you should be doing. Um, You know, at the end of the day, I'm not saying that we should sacrifice, (laughs) you know, resources or the need to have those or any of the methodological things that would be associated with that, but um, maybe it also prohibits us from pulling the trigger on something that we can yeah. pull the trigger on yeah. otherwise elsewhere.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly agree that the amount of sort of money is, is at that issue, but the resource to me that I think is is even more rare is time. Okay. Um, sure. That because because we're at a comprehensive university, uh, we typically have a three three, or we're doing other types of things to to supplement or or supplant. Um, that, that teaching load. And so, because of that, it's hard to carve out the time that you need to take a step back, think about a research idea. I mean, literally, just to sit back and ponder a research idea becomes difficult to get out of the weeds of the day-to-day about what do my graduate students need from me? What do my undergraduate students need from me? What do I need to be doing for classes? And, and so that I, I think one thing, I, I don't know if this is unique to App State or if this is true in other comprehensives um, but the university does a, a fairly good job of providing internal grants to, to support research. Um, you know, always like more money is better but but, but but I think the university does, does a, a pretty good job of this. The thing that I th- think you really feel the bite of, or at least as, as a pre-tenure person who's coming up on tenure that I'm, I'm starting to really feel uh, the bite of is, is the lack of time that I have in my schedule. Um, so teaching three classes, basically commits me to something like four hours of teaching three days a week and, and the amount of preps that come with that. Um, then there's all of the meetings that we have with our with our students and things like that. So carving out time to, to do research, to think about the research, to think about what questions are important, to think about what uh, questions we want to prioritize becomes, I think, a little bit more difficult. So I think for me, that that's the resource that I find to be an especially short supply at a comprehensive
0: yeah I mean that kind of goes back to what Twyla was saying of like how we're expected to be good whether it's excellent or at least passable at each one of those different areas I mean we're expected to do all three of those areas and so you can't focus on just one of them like for example I would love to just focus you know my you know 40 hours a week on research and and, well no I'm saying that's that's the and then the other like 10 uh, would be it. the other stuff. I can't even do that. I, I need to focus, you know, so, like you said, so much on the teaching and the grading and the, you know, the honor students that I have, the master yeah. students that I have. And, and And, you know, I agree with you that I don't know Necessarily like specific to app state, but it'd be interesting to to hear what other people's uh, perspectives are on
2: that. That there's just not enough time in the day. I mean, so I mean, I think I think that's a fair critique. I mean, there's never enough time. Like, so any academic anywhere will tell you like, there's never enough time. Um, And so like that that borders on truisms. But but I think for for us when we say there's not enough time. That's a fair limitation that, that we're we're arguing for here. That because we are expected not just to be researchers, but also to be effective uh, teachers. That like good teaching requires time, and that balances or that that eats into the time that we can be good researchers then. Yeah. I mean and that's
0: the idea like if if your goal is to be only
2: a good researcher, yes.
0: it's challenging to be at a comprehensive master's granting institution because you're you, you have to do these other things. So if that's your only goal, the only thing you're interested in, that would be That'd be hard. That'd be yeah. hard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean this kind of relates to you know so the idea that we all have different well that we have the freedom to have different perspectives right and so some people can focus on research some people can focus at, at a place like App State, some people can focus on research some can focus on teaching some can, can focus on student service That that's a freedom that we have What I've noticed is that also creates maybe some problems Mm -hmm. in the sense of when we're, you know, we have faculty meetings and we're voting on different things and so on. Different people have different focuses. Like I'm like, okay yeah, well, research, we need to focus on that. Other people are like, no service and so on or maybe even hiring or whatever it happens to be. Um, I mean, maybe that's just me. I don't know how you guys experienced any of that, where it's like it's challenging just because of the different perspectives that people
2: have or the different focuses that people have. Yeah, that, that's a good point. I mean, I think those different foci produce different constituencies. Um, I I think that yeah. so like some people prize teaching more and research more. Um, so, so I think that that's true, but I don't know that that's any more... Factional than the factions that you get in an R one in that case. But what, what um, factions do you get in an R one? What do you mean? I feel like you get well. Okay, so so I have no data to back any of this. <laughs> um, but but because you have sort of competition for resources, competitions for prestige, um, maybe also larger egos. Um, that no, that with it. I don't. I, do. I don't believe it. some <laughs>
1: pretty in this department that that's
2: fair I mean Smith like Smith yeah Smith is, is always problematic um, yeah the, those tiny shoes uh, but but uh, but but so, so I think it, it does lend itself to, to factionalism in a in a way that does require a a particular type of solution, that, that you have some people who value very, very different things, and working towards compromise or, or agreement in those contexts is, is hard.
1: I would say we're factional across programs, so we have four programs, graduate programs in our department, but then there's also the added sort of faction in terms of research versus teaching focus, and so um, like for me, one of the big differences coming here compared to when I was at an R1 was that hiring decisions, a big component of hiring decisions was based on course coverage, undergraduate course coverage, and that was something that I never, and maybe I just didn't have opportunity to witness witness it, I don't know, but I never witnessed that at an R1 institution that that undergraduate course needs... Jewel,
0: higher industries. Yeah, right. but I mean, and like here's an example. So like, um, Chris mm-hmm. recently gave a talk on open science practices, and and you know how to. Kind of, <laughs> is <this your> <laughs> there you go. So how to embrace the open science world? Um, and. I could have predicted
2: fairly accurately
0: which faculty members were going to be there. Uh, later on, we might have a talk on you know best practices in teaching, mm-hmm. and I can predict fairly well who's going to be at that. Uh, and you'll be you know, at both because you're I, just. And <laughs> I'm, I'm an amazing person, so I could have. Both. I mean, I think some some people do go to both. And the, I, I, I mean, we could probably predict that as well. But I'm just saying that, like, there does seem to be different groups of people who go to the, like, yeah, open science, pre-reg, everything, blah, 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 versus, like, okay, we need to understand what teaching practices work and, you know, we don't shouldn't just, like, lecture to people
2: and so on. And, and I think there are right. differences. There. I, I don't know, but my, my inner contrary. Is now coming out, so so like the the argument <laughs> just, just now, but but so the argument that oh, we have different factions. Yeah. is where I would disagree that okay, like, the thing that produces our rancor is the uh, factions around teaching versus research, thus, like, my original point is right. Uh, uh, but for other places, like, also have, have rancor, but it's just, it's rancor that derives from something like, there they will be there will be factions no matter what. It's just like, pick your poison. What is the particular type of thing that you will, like, group about? And for us because we're comprehensive and because like teaching service and research are all relatively equally prized you can form factions around those three things but other programs who don't have like that particular set of weightings could have and likely do have rate uh factions that just correspond to like x different thing so I, i don't know that factionalism is like different
1: I'm just gonna be argumentative for the sake of it. I don't know if I believe this, but my, I guess what I was trying to say was that I think in like what I've witnessed in our ones is that there is factionalism, but it's tied to discipline. Mm-hmm. And here I see disciplinary factionalism, but then I also see teaching versus mm-hmm. research factionalism. Yeah. So it's kind of two cross yeah. models. No, I would agree with
0: that. I mean, where I was at, there was a huge. Um, disagreements on the value of, you know, social personality versus cognitive versus clinical versus whatever. And so, yeah, that's where the faction lines were drawn was the discipline, like you said. And I don't, I mean, I don't remember at all anybody advocating for the teaching faction there. That right. just did not happen. Um, whereas, yeah, I, I would agree that here you might get some, depending on the dis- decision to be made, it was, some of it was like discipline-specific. Others is like, you know, teaching, research, and I was going to say service, but I don't know that anybody is advocating for the service faction.
2: i I don't mean yeah, to. That, that, that's right. There's probably not like a deep service constituency. Yeah, yeah. Uh, teaching, sure. And research, teacher. absolutely. Yeah. But, but less on, you know, I really want to be on 18 committees. Like yeah. no one is making that's, that argument. No. Yeah. yeah. I heard that one. No. Yeah. yeah.
3: I will say this though. I think that there is like, if we go back to the university mission or like the departmental objectives. There's always an importance placed on, you know, let's do stuff across disciplines. Let's yeah. do stuff that uh, allows us to explore each of these three routes. Um, and, you know, this might be narcissistic, but going back to my my talk, it was a cross-departmental thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's good in the long run because then you get people that are, you know, maybe in one of those camps, but they see that this is something that's trying to blow those camps apart, whether or not they implicitly or explicitly recognize that. And you know, Andrew, you mentioned being able to predict who was going to be there. Wait, which Andrew Smith? Um, (laughs) Right, the right right one. Um, And I had similar uh, premonitions going into that, but some of those were falling apart. Um, So I think as long as we're mindful of those sorts of things, and it seems like maybe this is something unique to comprehensive universities, I don't know. Again, I can't can't speak much beyond App State, Um, but it is nice to know that that's something that is valued, that balance between these things, and it maybe helps to get rid of those factions a little
1: bit. I do, I will say, even though I was just arguing the other point five seconds ago, that the only time I really see factions is in, like, hiring decisions. And then in terms of any other decisions, or in terms of research and teaching, collegiality, I think we have a very collaborative department and that those lines are kind of invisible. Yeah.
2: Well, no, we think that's I entirely agree on that point. because so, so I think what I would agree with is that when stakes are low or non-existent, mm-hmm. factions don't poke up, which is, of course, an uninteresting prediction. But when there are some type of stakes, if we're talking about who gets teaching releases, if we're talking about how we think about... Um, Departmental merit raises all those things. I think we absolutely still see factionalism along the research and teaching lines, but but I think it, it's a difference of like stakes versus no stakes. You might be right. I could do that. Yeah.
0: What do you think are some like misconceptions though? Uh, masters granting institutions. So, like, I'll just throw mine out there because. I already talked about it earlier, of I I think one of the misconceptions is that it's, you know, if you can't get a job in an R1, then then you go to an M.A. institution, which I think maybe is what some people do. So I don't think it's a misconception in terms of what people do. I do not think that is what will make people happy though. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I mean if you're if you're interested in R1, all you want to do is research and that's just where your focus is, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. you're gonna be just terribly disappointed yeah. with being at, at at a MAA institution where you need to Yes, do research. That is required, and that's fantastic, and that's where maybe my interests are. But you also need to teach well. You also need to to um, you know be a part of the, the whether it's the departmental community and doing service there, or, you know, broader, or whatever. But yeah, there's a service requirement. So for me, that's been. That was like a big, um, I don't know, shift in terms of the way that I've been thinking about things. Being here at this institution, right. but I don't know. Do you have any other thoughts of misconceptions, maybe that there might be of um, MA programs or MA universities? Yeah, they are <laughs> <laughs> crickets. We'll edit this part out.
3: Yeah. I don't know. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I guess I would just echo what you said about it being kind of like a, a backup, you know, kind of almost taking the the perspective that some people have with publishing, you know, go for top tier and then second tier, yeah. third tier, move your way down. Um, yeah, I don't know beyond that. I mean, I guess the other thing we, you know, what I would think
0: about was that, like, most people are surprised that the the programs are as big as they are. Mm-hmm. That we um, publish as much as we do. That right. some people in at Monroe actually publish in, like, you know, JPSB and other <laughs> journals like that. And um, end of two guys, and, and end of two, whatever. <laughs> it happened. It has happened. But but no, I mean, but. Uh, I think that that's not necessarily something that most people would realize that the the research that we do, while it might be a little bit slower to come out, might be very good, high quality research, um, that they wouldn't necessarily think that. There's like, well, yeah, the good research comes out of the R1s and, you know, the other stuff.
2: Yeah. And I think, I mean, maybe, maybe there's like a future pod in this, but I I feel like this reflects some either structural disadvantages of comprehensive universities or structural advantages mm-hmm. or, uh, of R1 universities that R1 universities are extraordinarily good at creating press releases and press mm-hmm. um Interest, like popular press interest, mm-hmm. in their research, like whether or not the research is strong, weak, or otherwise. Uh, where, because like a comprehensive university doesn't have, I mean, simply doesn't have the staffing to to do that type of full court press release. Uh, and I realize I'm mixing my metaphors here. Um, <laughs> such a sports fan that you know, full court, court sports, press, sports ball touchdown <laughs> with the basket. Um, <laughs> Kobe (laughs) I love when they win at the game that they play Uh, but the because
4: because
2: comprehensive universities just simply don't have the goal of being in the popular press the way or, or the ability to be in the popular press that the way that R1 universities do, I think that there's an asymmetry asymmetry with regard to the way that the work is valued. Like whether right. or not the, the work is equally valuable oh. I think really. the work is differentially valued because R1s are able to hype the work more. Mm-hmm. Um, but this goes back to my like MTurk is bad critique. <laughs> um, so so we'll, we'll like save that for now. No, there. but I would agree with that. I mean, I've literally never had a press
0: release for my research. Maybe it doesn't merit that and I'm like half okay with that. But I mean, most other um, institutions, R1 institutions, have a, you know, area, agency, whatever yeah. that their job is to write up these press releases.
2: I've had a press release from the second author's university There was an the R1 yeah. and he or she got the call about the research and was asked to comment on it and and to that person's credit said by the by you probably want to talk to the first author so like full credit Mm -hmm. to my my co-author but but it was the the R1 institution who put out the press release Mm -hmm. who, who got the press hype and then the person at the R one who got the attention for it. Mm-hmm. But but props to the, the person there for yes. then like passing on that attention. So, so your co authors are fantastic. My co authors are fantastic. Yes. Everyone who's ever authored a paper me Is a fantastic, fantastic by definition. By definition, it yeah, to be. That's the criteria. That's the criteria. No, but I would agree. I mean, it's a, it's a difference. Um,
0: I don't know. I mean, well, not process, but it's just different here. And it's not. It doesn't have to do with the quality of the research. It doesn't have to do with the, the impact. It just has to do with the, well, who's getting the the press and who's getting people to advocate for their own research and ideas. And obviously, that is not something that is an emphasis at uh, at a master's granting institution Yeah,
3: Yeah. so I have two things I think one that's relevant one that might move us in a different direction Um, one that's relevant I think Twitter could be really good for getting some hype out there Um, you know of course there's all sorts of debates about who follows whom on Twitter and what does it mean to be an early career researcher on Twitter and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do like the fact that Twitter gives you the the platform to self promote Mm -hmm. without, I mean, you can be narcissistic on Twitter, but I think you can do it in a non-narcissistic way that, you know, let's get interested in this work. Let's get people thinking about this. I'd love to hear your comments and critiques on this. Tell me, my work is wrong. Those sorts of things. Um, so I think we can, even though we don't have a, a press release department here, we can kind of do that ourselves.
2: Um, yeah, I totally agree on, on the the democratizing effect of, of Twitter on pushing research out. As a, right. a, a relatively, I mean, again, like some people have more followers and some people have fewer followers, but Twitter does offer an opportunity to. Reach a, a wider audience than, than you would normally be able to reach with your work. Absolutely, I
0: think I have mm-hmm. um, thirteen Twitter followers, so I'm pretty sure I'm going to reach a huge <laughs> audience right there with my followers. Three of them
2: are in this room. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah, so, well, uh, I, uh, I
0: don't follow you. Uh, yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: So, all right. Yeah, so uh, yeah, But do. yes, I do. But most people, yes, I know.
3: I, I totally agree with that. What's your second, yeah. Point? Yeah, you second point? Yeah, my second thought, this was something that came to mind as we were talking about like misconceptions about master's granting institutions. Um, I remember when I was at my master's granting institution working on my master's that um, I had people both within the department and outside of the department talk about the fact that this was like puppy dog graduate school or like it was like a bubble in some ways because you don't have the expectations of going on to a PhD, even though I think our program and many programs like ours are are targeted towards, you know, getting people into that next step of a PhD, um, or, you know, elsewhere. Um but I, I do think that a lot of people were thinking of getting a masters first as like, you didn't have the G R. E scores or you weren't quite as smart or you weren't quite as capable. Um and I You know, as somebody who went through that process, I think there's a lot of good reasons for doing that. And, you know, I I applaud people that are able to go straight into PhD programs. I think it's great. Um, But I also think the, the conception of it being a like a bubbled version of graduate school isn't correct Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, because the people that are providing you the training come from the non-bubbled version of of graduate school yeah this is this is is, like a weird one because like i
0: i having you know gone through a master's program as well um like half of me agrees with the idea the the, uh, stereotype that like yes i would not have been able to get into as good a PhD program had I not gone to the the MA program first. So that's definitely true, but... When I went to the master's program, I wasn't 100% sure I wanted to go on to a PhD program. Mm-hmm, right. So that gave me that extra time of like, hey, let's teach some classes or be a TA for some classes. Let's do more research. Do I really want to do this? And and that was really fantastic. So it had not been right. a, a little bit, but not, not fully to do with the fact of like how... Um, uh, advanced of a student, uh, was I, or could I hack it in a PhD program? It was just like, do I know what I want to do? Mm. And I definitely agree that that's like a misconception of like, well, the students that we have, they must just be the kind of, you know, PhD rejects that are those who can't get it. No, they're the ones maybe who, you know, don't know fully what they right. want to do yet. Maybe they want to go on a PhD program, but maybe they don't. And that's okay. And they can get something out of the,
3: the program. So no, I would 100% agree with that. Yeah. And just to build on that, I think the idea of it being like puppy dog graduate school would imply that it doesn't translate to what you do in a PhD program. Mm -hmm. And I know that for me coming in with a master's into a PhD program, I felt pretty confident. Of course there was a lot of learning and there was a lot of figuring out what this department was like and those sorts of things. But those skills that you build in the two years are not limited to what you do in those two years and what you do at your master's. Um, And, you know, even if it is, a little different it's a different time frame it's still grad school it's still building these skills and allows you that time to figure out you know do i want to go on to a phd or do i want to become an actuarian or you know yeah of mm-hmm. yeah in terms of the, i mean the skills like are were
0: huge for me because like my first year of phd program i did not think was that hard Like almost everybody else who was in the program was like, Oh crap. Like these classes are so much reading and Mm -hmm. like, Oh, I have to actually run my own studies and all this other garbage. And I was like, yeah, that's what I've been doing for the last two years. Like, How do you not know how to do this? Right. And my first year of the PhD program was not particularly challenging. And I was like, well, from the each year on, it just got progressively more challenging and that was great. And so it was a really kind of easy progression into it. Yeah. I really didn't have that much Challenge, but other people who didn't do a uh, master's program first did. Right, so I do agree with the value there.
2: Hmm. You're giving me hmm. cubes. you. You and I had very different <laughs> PhD experiences. I, I also did a master's, but I remember when I I came to the PhD program, they're like, "Oh, this is a totally different ballgame." Um, um, and and my first year was challenging.
0: Um, covered, so so either your, P, your your MA program was like
2: super easy, or your your PhD program was way harder than mine. One I, of mean, those. I, I think I think if uh, people find out who my PhD advisor was, they will correctly infer <laughs> that my PhD program was uh, was uh, extra difficult. To Maybe my advisor
0: was super nice to me. Really? He took a look at me and was like, "Yeah, he can't handle much." He
2: needs to my advisor may have inferred the same
3: <laughs> yeah. well to prevent us from going too far down there yeah. um, fair one, one thing that I heard and this was on the this is grad school podcast which is put out by a couple of graduate students um, and they liken the transition from a master's granting institution to a PhD program as a student as like having a favorite pair of jeans, but wearing out that said pair of jeans and then having to buy a new one, and you have to break it in, you know. So it still kind of feels comfortable, like you know these jeans, but they're still breaking in. And I really like that analogy or metaphor because am I buying it, the wrong kind of jeans? <laughs> I, I, I
2: feel. My my jeans are always comfortable, right? yeah. yeah. Well, maybe they're pretty washed well What about after yeah. yeah, yeah. Are they tight after you wash
1: them? I
3: mean, they're tight, but that's how I like my jeans. Do you sit in the bathtub in hot water and let them soak first? I I do not. I I, okay. I think I think this is
2: some extra discussion about like. What types of jeans are these guys buying? Are these like full denim or 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 uh, full, full denim? denim? There's not full denim. Yeah, they're they're like, they're not, like yeah. You can have you can have denim with like some amount of like less. Yeah, I want those. The
1: stretchy's the way to go. Right, yeah. As the senior, as the senior member of this, yeah, <laughs> <and> this <is laughs> the most
2: experienced. Go <laughs> full of stretchy pants like sweatpants yeah. sure. yeah. that's what yeah. you can do post-tenure if you <laughs> just wear sweatpants yeah. all day
3: long yeah uh, pajama jeans right yes. um, but yeah, anyway I was thinking you know I, I like this and to extend that analogy a little bit more um, if you're coming into a PhD program and you've never worn those jeans you don't know that these things can change and that this is just something that you're getting used to at this point in time um, so it is nice to have that leg up as a master student coming into a PhD program.
2: So is the metaphor like when you go from like normal jeans to like hipster jeans and all of a sudden oh. like you're like oh these are so much more tight and constricting and I've got to do like squats in the morning to like be able to move around <laughs> is that is that the proper metaphor? Well I mean this is getting a little off topic
0: but sadly I, I hate
2: So damn tight. That's what yeah, I, guys, I hate that. Yeah. So I can't let my dry. Yeah, I, I don't wash the jeans. Doesn't like. Is what we're <laughs> yeah. that's not entirely untrue.
4: <laughs> <laughs> there
2: you go. All right. So, right there.
0: So, so students, um, I get why they might want to go here, but um, you know, time right. to uh, um, you know figure out what they want to do and so on. Right. But why might um, like faculty member, well, people in the market want mm. to come at, to a place like State other than like an R one u- university or even other than like a um, arts College that focuses on on teaching, yeah, undergraduate, yeah. What do you guys think about that?
1: I think most people who want to come here, well, I don't know. I'm saying this, and you can tell me if it's true. I think most people who want to come here want a diversity of responsibilities. Mm-hmm. But th- there's something about us that's a little bit. I don't know, spread thing, <laughs> purposely yeah. spread thing, that, that we want a diversity of tasks. Um, and that people who apply to the jobs that rise to the top of the application pool are all, also demonstrate that they're interested in a diversity of responsibilities. Yeah, that's a good point.
0: Um, the, the difference between people who apply here versus rise to the top. Yeah, right. Because I think there are some people who uh, apply here who I mean are fantastic researchers. Nothing against them, but I don't know that they would be happy here. Mm-hmm. And, and we have to try to figure out well who would be happy at a place like this versus you know who can publish a million articles and and the people who focus on you know like oh yeah I want to you know publish and you know I don't care about teaching I don't care about involving students in research. Mm-hmm. Um, that's obviously a huge red flag for us. And so there definitely been. On search committees that I've been on, where where we've had people who were good researchers, but they literally never taught a course. I mean, they've been a TA, of course, but they've right. never actually been the instructor of record of a course. And it's like, okay, do you not care? Did this not opportunity just not happen? Is not that that not an emphasis? And that's just a that's a red flag for us.
1: I think we think about fit and. And not good in bad ways, really, but we think about fit a lot. And so if someone writes a cover letter and their CV is reflective of primarily research experience with absolutely no teaching, then that's a weakness. At the same time, that doesn't mean we don't expect research productivity, right? So we still, yeah. I would say we still favor research productivity, but we mm. will prioritize applicants that have a little bit of balance over those who are solely researchers.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think this is something useful to think about. Like, we're in the job application season for a lot of people. And so the idea of, of fit is often something that is sort of ephemeral, that we don't really know what it means, but we know that it's important. Um, and and in the context of a comprehensive university, fit in this context means something like we care about research, we care that you have strong research bona fides, uh, that you have uh, work that is interesting, that is compelling, um, but that you also clearly demonstrate some type of, of commitment to, to teaching. And so for graduate students, that might be that you have engaged in some type of teaching training, because we've realized not all graduate students get get to be the instructor of record uh, for classes. Um, if you've done postdocs or if you're coming out of, of other types of programs that we look for some evidence that you... Care and and are um, thoughtful about about your teaching, and so um, yeah, I think this idea of, of fit is a really important one, but one that um, for us for for comprehensive universities usually means. That you have an interest in research, that you have a developed research profile um, and a a program of research, but also that you have clearly defined goals with regard to your teaching, that you have done it, or that you have ideas for what you want to do in the future.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think
2: that I mean that fits with our um, uh,
0: expectations of being good at a wide variety of things. Of like, we have there are people who have been in. The um the you know being on the search committee that the their candidates who we've excluded because they didn't have enough research but obviously candidates who I mean fantastic on research but have not ever taught their own course or have no seem to have no interest in teaching and so on both extremes we definitely excluded people and so I definitely think with the the type of program that that you know, we are, we're looking for people who can kind of do both, which is a challenge. I mean, as a PhD student, you might not realize that, oh, well, I need to try to make sure that I can, you know, teach a class or, you know, either, even if it's during the summer, um, you know, being an instructor of record, but that matters Mm -hmm. and we care about that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean it's, it's hard. I mean a lot of people don't realize that, but that's definitely something that we look for or look for.
1: And I think a lot of people might not get that message from their mm-hmm. institution. Yes. Right. Yeah. So if you're in a, if you're currently a graduate student in a dot program, you may not get the message that you should be teaching at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if your specific career goal is yeah. to be a comprehensive. Then we do look for that on yeah. job application.
0: or even if you're not entirely sure, mm-hmm. even if you don't know that you want to teach at a comprehensive university, had your bets? Yeah, kind yeah. Of, I mean obviously kind of yeah. even if you're I mean that's more or less what I did because mm-hmm. coming from a you know did a masters program, coming from a comprehensive, I was like, okay, maybe this is something I might be interested in. Maybe I want to go R1. So I actually made choices to make sure that I was kind of prepared for both. And obviously I ended up being a better fit for comprehensive and I'm happy here. So that's fine. But, but a lot of people, like you said, a lot of people might not know that out of, yeah, you probably should teach at least a class or at least some summer school. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have that, um, um, you know, on your record that says, I'm the instructor, an instructor of record. I have created the syllabus and, and created the lecture notes and done all the things that I need to do. And, and those just aren't typically emphasized in a PhD program. I don't have much to say because I've only ever really on one site. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Well, thank you for, um, I guess this is, I mean, does anybody have anything else to say? Should we wrap it up here? Yeah. Yeah, I think that, that's fair. All right. Well, thank you for listening to uh, Marginally Significant. Um, on the next episode, we're going to talk about how maybe we should be publishing fewer papers. And Monroe is going to argue about how MTurk sucks. And the rest <laughs> of us are going to say, maybe it's not so bad. Uh, M MTurk should die. <laughs> That might be uh, the conclusion we all come to. Um, So um, thank you for listening, and we will um, uh, be back next time.